This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hello, and welcome back to Everything You Wanted to Know About, a new kind of podcast from the team behind BBC Science Focus magazine. I'm Dan Bennett, the magazine's editor, and today we're back answering Google's most popular search queries about physics with Professor Jim Alkalili. In this episode, we're going to dive into some big cosmological concepts. We're talking space and time, the end of the universe, and Jim's going to explain why the Earth's core is actually two and a half years younger than its surface. So, Jim, today we're going to talk about the big stuff, space and time. Now, before we do that, I suppose we should probably talk about the R word and Could you explain to me what is relativity? Uh, Okay, so I I teach a course on on relativity to my first year physics undergraduates and uh, it's 33 hours worth of of lectures. So I'll give you the the summary view here. Um, So Einstein um, had two theories of relativity. Uh, His special theory in 1905 was the one that so that's the one that gave us E equals MC squared, the most famous equation in physics. But in fact, that equation isn't the most important thing about his special theory. What is important is that he showed that we can't talk about space and time separately. You know, space is where stuff happens, you know, three dimensions, our space, we understand what that means. And, and we tend to think of time as just ticking by inexorably, externally, nothing we can do to, to change it. You know, we can, we can have different time zones around the world and we can move an hour forward for British summertime, but that's not messing with time. That's just the way we, you know, we, we, where we fix our clocks. But Einstein said time and space have to be combined together into four-dimensional space-time. Otherwise, we can't understand then you know relate events because uh, without going to too much history uh, the idea was that uh, you know even Galileo and Newton understood that for example all motion is relative so you know if I'm you're moving relative to me you can equally well say no I'm standing still and you and you Jim are the one who's moving Um, and all laws of physics it turns out you know um, are independent of whether you're moving or not so I, I always give the example when you're on board a plane and the the, the air steward is, is pouring you a, a coffee they don't start tipping the jug at the front of the plane when you're sitting at the back and by the time the the, the coffee lands into your cup the plane has moved forward enough for it to catch it everything happens on board the plane that's moving in the same way that it would if you were on the ground and not moving. Everything is, uh, all motion is relative. So this led Einstein to the idea that time and space, for reasons that are not obvious, that, that time and space has to be unified. The, the thing that he brought n- new to the, to, the, to the story, beyond what Galileo and Newton said, was that everything is relative, all motion is relative, but the speed of light isn't relative. So however fast we're moving relative to each other, we would both measure light to have the same speed. If I 
um, send a beam of light out into space. I see it moving away from me at you know a billion kilometers an hour. I think that's the, no, no. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. I think it's. I always always think of it as well. Physicists will talk about three times ten to the power eight meters per second, but I think it's easier to put it down to a billion kilometers an hour. Anyway, very fast. I see it moving away at that speed, speed of light. Now, if you were to jump in a rocket and fly off to try and catch up with the light beam, let's say you're traveling at ninety nine percent speed of light, you would still see it moving past your rocket window at the same speed that I see it moving away from me, which is a real you know, it's mind bending. So that led Einstein to the idea that time and space are unified into four dimensional space time. And from that, all sorts of things follow. Time slows down when you go very fast, um, uh, lengths contract, uh, and then it leads on to sort of new equations for momentum and energy and so on. So that's the sort of stuff that you teach. It's, it's a lot, it's a, it goes a lot further than E equals MC squared. Brilliant. And you, you mentioned it there, uh, the idea of space time which I guess to the layperson is quite different to how we think about space and time. Uh, so can you tell me, what is space-time? Right, so, so we know when, when something happens, an event we call it in, in physics, we need four numbers to define it, its coordinates. We need the, the X, Y and Z coordinates to locate it in space, but we also need to say when it happened. An event, you know, you have to have the where and the when to fix it. So, so in a sense, time adds another dimension anyway. But Einstein said, no, time is really like another axis. Time really is a fourth dimension. Um, and space-time uh, in Einstein's special theory was you know where stuff happens now that doesn't isn't sexy it isn't um uh, so interesting until you hit einstein's second theory his general theory of relativity which he developed 10 years later in 1915 and there he said space time itself is affected by the matter and energy that exists within it in a really really profound way so his general theory says that Matter and energy curves space-time around it, uh, warps space and time, and space and time, when it's warped, it has an, an effect on the stuff that, that, that's within it. And that gave Einstein a new picture of what gravity is, the gravitational field. So now, today, when we talk about what is space-time, we say it's the shape of the gravitational field. It's, it, you know, if there was no, in, in a sense, if there was no matter and energy in the universe... We wouldn't have empty space-time. We wouldn't have space-time at all because space-time is defined by matter and energy and matter and energy is defined by space-time. Really, really profound ideas, which, which I'm not doing justice to in, in just a few <laughs> remarks. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, you're doing a great job for just uh, explaining it in a few seconds. Um, so, so within that context, of you just you know, explain how space-time and matter are, you know, in inseparably linked uh, and space-time effect in effect creates or generates gravity. Can you just talk about, it's an even harder question, how does space-time create gravity? Well, um, there's a, a, a very famous book, but probably not so well known, by Einstein himself called Relativity, the Special and General Theory. Um, he, he, he first published it in Germany, in German, uh, around about the time he came up with the general theory. So in 1916, um, it got translated into English and it's had many editions. 
And he would keep adding appendices to this book. It's a tiny book. It's almost like a popular science book. The last appendix he added, Appendix 5, he added a year before he died in 1954. Uh, and in it, he gives the most beautiful explanation of grav what gravity is or how gravity affects space-time. Um, and he says, basically, there's no such thing as empty space-time with no matter and energy. It, 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 he says, um, space-time does not claim existence on its own, but only as a structural quality of the gravitational field. Basically, what he's saying is space-time is a thing, right? It's stuff, as it were, and it is the gravitational field. So the idea that, you know, far from any matter, galaxies or stars or anything out in deep em empty space, we say that's empty, flat space time. No, space time wouldn't exist at all were it not for matter and energy. So the matter and energy creates a gravitational field, which is itself synonymous with space and time itself. Space and time is, is the, the essence of, of our universe. It's the fabric of the universe. And you can't disentangle it from the stuff that the universe contains it's one and the same thing perfect um now we talked about relativity and we talked about how um the speed of light is universal but everything else is subject to relativity sorry have i put that the right way around so yes the speed of light is yeah. yes that's all right yeah so everything's subject okay so Relativity makes some strange predictions. Uh, and in your book, The World According to Physics, um, you, you, you picked out one that I, I really liked. Uh, you, you explained that the Earth's core is actually younger than the surface. So how is that so? <laughs> yeah, so one of the predictions of Einstein's general theory, the second one, uh, is that uh, because uh, gravity, gravitational field is space-time, gravity, we, we see it as changing space and changing time. In fact, uh, gravity slows time down. Uh, and so the stronger the gravitational field, the slower clocks will run. Uh, and the Earth has its own gravitation. It's like a gravitational well. So the deeper you get into the Earth, the deeper into the well you go, and the slower time will run. So at the centre of the Earth, clocks are ticking by, counting the seconds, the minutes, the, the years, the, the billions of years, at a slightly slower rate than clocks on the surface of the Earth. And you can do the calculations, and physicists have done this, this calculation. We haven't actually sent a clock to the core of the Earth, but we so trust Einstein's theory, because we've tested it so carefully that we believe this is correct, done the calculations, and it works out that over the course of the Earth's life, five or so billion years, the Earth's core because time is running by ever so slightly more slowly there than the surface, it will have aged cumulatively about, I think it's two and a half years less than the surface. Now, two and a half years out of five billion is not much, but it's still there. It's, it's, it's a measurable thing. And this idea of time slowing down is more than a theory, because after all, it is the basis on which our GPS system works. The mobile phone that you use to locate your position only works because scientists and engineers have had to deliberately slow clocks down in, on satellites because the clocks on board satellites, if left to their own devices, would tick by slightly more quickly 
than clocks on the surface of the Earth because they're further away from the core of the Earth, so they feel slightly weaker gravity. So they can tick by more quickly, and, and then they'll be out of sync with the clocks on the Earth. So you wouldn't be able to, to use your, the satellite to locate your position. So this is more than theory. This is actually part of the technology that we all use without realising. Great. Um, and so you mentioned there uh, previously, we have uh, a universal speed limit, which is the speed of light. How do we, how do we know this? Um, well, it's not obvious. Uh, and, and Einstein's special theory of relativity, I mean, you have to take it in sort of logical stages because if you say, well, you know, 300 million uh, metres per second, well, that's a number. Surely, just because light travels at that speed, maybe you physicists just haven't been imaginative enough to discover something that can go a bit faster. What's, what's wrong with 301 million metres per second? You know, it's not infinity, it's still a number. Um, but the speed of light is special. It's not the light is special, it's that this speed is special because it's woven into the fabric of space and time. When Einstein unified time and space, the thing that, the glue that pulls them together is the speed of light. So the speed of light is part, is a property of our universe. It doesn't make sense to say that something could go faster than it. In fact, when I, I teach my physicists, my students this, I give them lots of examples. One example is that the faster you've got to make something go, the more energy you've got to put into it. And the closer, so it's like a train. You're trying to make a train go to the speed of light and exceed the speed of light. What happens in relativity is as masses get close to the speed of light, they become more massive. They become heavier. So it's like adding another carriage to the train. Every time you want to make it go faster, you've got to add another carriage, making it even harder to accelerate it further and you and the train will become infinitely long infinitely massive at the speed of light so basically all the energy you're putting in to make this train go faster is being converted into its mass that's your e equals mc squared rather than being used to make it go faster so there are lots of examples like that to show how the speed of light is universal there's another example i give from star trek where i say actually if you did have something going faster than light then according to some observers, it would appear as though it was travelling backwards in time. And I, and I give a very nice paradox to, make, to show how ridiculous it would be. So it's logically impossible to go faster than light, if, if I were to explain that example in full, which I'm not going to do here. <laughs> Great. Fantastic. Um, so that, that brings us on to, quite nicely to the next thing, um, which is the idea that the universe is expanding all the time. Uh, how, how do we know this? Well, it was first predicted, again, by Einstein's general theory of relativity. In fact, it wasn't Einstein who first discovered it, but other physicists, cosmologists who were looking at the maths realised that this suggested the universe could be expanding and therefore must have been starting from a point when everything was all stuck together, um, very close together and a high density. But it wasn't until the uh, late 1920s when the uh, American astronomer Edwin Hubble actually saw the universe expanding. He was looking at distant galaxies way beyond the Milky Way, and he saw that the light coming from those galaxies was red-shifted, Doppler-shifted. So in the same way that um, a, a car, very fast car that goes past you, as it goes past you and recedes into the distance, the, 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 the pitch of the, the engine drops. So that 
drop in pitch is 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 uh, is because the the waves of sound waves from the car are being stretched as it moves away from you. The same thing happens with light, and these distant galaxies, the light coming from them is stretched because they're moving away. So he sees the light move towards the red end of the visible spectrum, which means it's getting longer and longer wavelength. And that allowed him to figure out that, in fact, that's because these galaxies are moving away from us. And in every direction we look in space, things are moving away from us. And that's not because we're at the middle of the galaxy. Everything at the middle of the universe, I beg your pardon. Everything is moving from everything away from everything else because the space in between the galaxies itself, that, that is what is stretching. It's not objects moving through the universe, through space, they're sitting still in their part of space. It's the the, interv- the the bit in the middle between us and that distant galaxy that is actually stretching. And, and we have ample evidence that this is actually happening now. And so do we know, essentially, you, earlier you explained about how um, space-time is one thing. Does that also mean that time is expanding? No, I mean, this This is quite a subtle point, in fact, because, yeah, exactly, you'd think, hang on a minute, we've just unified space and time. So so when you say the universe is expanding, then surely space-time is expanding. In fact, no, um, you can actually play around with the mathematics in, in Einstein's equations. And what you see, in fact, the expansion of the universe is the expansion of space alone, so it's almost as though we're we're having to disentangle space and time again, which we're, we're told can't be done. But you know, you me- you mess around with the equations so that space, three dimensional space, is expanding, but time itself doesn't. So over time, space gets bigger. Okay, and then this one was a great one on Google. This had lots of uh, search volume behind it. What is the universe expanding into? Yeah, this is the question I get asked most often when I give talks on this subject. Um, the, the trick is not to think of the universe expanding into something, because that suggests there is something outside that would then presumably just still be part of our universe. You know, we don't have an edge to space. If space goes on forever, it goes on forever. There's nothing beyond it. The, the, the trick is to say, it's not that the universe has an edge and that edge is moving into uncharted territory, as it were. Everything in the universe sits exactly where it is. It's not moving or not moving much, but the space in between is stretching like a rubber band. So, you know, you can imagine, you know, two, two points, draw two sort of uh, dots on a, on a rubber band. Those dots are not moving along the rubber band. They're staying where they are, but the rubber band itself is stretching. So space is everything, and that everything is stretching. It's not moving into anything because it contains everything by definition. And I suppose you could legitimately say, uh, well, what's what's the thing the universe is expanding into, expanding into, expanding into, and go on forever and ever if you kind of... Um, yeah, like yeah. And um, I should say there are... There are um, speculative ideas um, on what's called multiverse theory, the idea that our universe is a bubble universe within some higher dimension. And in that scenario, you can sort of think of um, our, our, our space expanding into something else, something called the, the inflaton field. Uh, but again, that was some, it's, a, it's a theory called um, eternal inflation theory, uh, but it's speculative, but at least it sort of gives an answer that our universe is a bubble that's getting bigger within some higher dimensional multiverse. 
Okay. And um, just, I mean, we're going to touch on this a little bit later, so I don't want to get too into it, but I think it's probably, would be remiss if I didn't ask, what what do we think is driving this expansion? Well, the, um, until about 20 or so years ago, uh, the idea was that the only thing driving the expansion was the Big Bang itself, what we call the initial conditions of the universe, how, whatever it was that um, caused the universe to be the way it was at the start, that initial energy pushed everything apart and caused space to expand. And, and we therefore assumed that all the matter and energy in the universe, because it exerts a gravitational attraction on everything else, it should be slowing the expansion down, putting the brakes on, on the expansion. Um, but back in the late 90s, it was discovered that, in fact, there's something else, which we now call dark energy, which is driving this expansion ever more rapidly. So it wasn't just the Big Bang that got things going in the first place. There's something else that's giving it a a helping hand now that's starting to win against the attractive pull of gravity. So dark energy is almost like anti-gravity. It's pushing things apart at the largest length scales. So in answer, two things are driving expansion. The Big Bang, the initial Big Bang, and now, uh, as we know it, dark energy. And um, this was this was surprised me. This was uh, quite popular on Google. Um, h- how do we know how old the universe really is, and how are we certain? Well, yes, you know, we, we we're sort of narrowing it down, making it ever more accurate. Thirteen point eight two billion years, give or take, uh, uh, is 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 the current uh, estimate. I mean, the simple answer is that we know it can't be any younger than the older stars that we know of stars in, in, in our galaxy, for example, and the older stars are of order 12 billion years. So the universe itself must be older than that. Um, but we can also put another limit on, on uh, how old the universe is uh, because of what's called the cosmic microwave background. So this is radiation in deep space. In a sense, it's, it gives us the temperature of empty space which is just under three degrees Kelvin, three degrees above absolute zero. So about minus 270 degrees Celsius. Um, and, and the Big Bang Theory predicts that. It predicts exactly that's what that, the, 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 the temperature of the universe would be if we understand what that cosmic microwave background is. And what it is, is light that was released in the very early universe when atoms first formed. Uh, and we know from the Big Bang theory that must have happened a few hundred thousand years after the Big Bang itself. Now, a few hundred thousand years is small change by by sort of the the, the 13.8 billion years age of the universe. So for all intents and purposes, we can say the cosmic microwave radiation was released just after the Big Bang, and we can work out how old that radiation is from the temperature that it has now. Because as the universe expands, that light, that radiation is stretching as well and cooling uh, the universe, cooling space down. So by measuring the temperature, can tell us ha- that can tell us how long ago atoms first formed and released this radiation. So that gives us another handle on, on, on the age of the universe. And there's lots of other pieces of evidence from astronomy, but those are probably the most obvious ones. Okay, and then uh, this is another uh, one I'm sure you get uh, quite often in in your talks. Um, what happened before the Big Bang? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. This is a this is a very popular one. Well, um, I, the standard answer, certainly until recent years, 
would have been, you know, there is no before because the Big Bang marks the birth of space and time. So there was no before the Big Bang because there was no time to, to, to embed the word before in. It doesn't make sense to say before when there was no, no time itself. And, uh, you know, the, the, the nice uh, way of explaining that is saying, if you were to walk t- down to the South Pole and I told you, when you get to the South Pole, keep walking south. It's meaningless, you know, because any step you take from the South Pole will take you back north again. There is no further south than the South Pole. In that sense, there is no time earlier than the Big Bang. Now, I said that was until recently. Now, cosmologists are starting to speculate about the possibility that there might have been a before the Big Bang. It may be, for example, in, in this, this speculative idea called eternal inflation, that our, our universe was born in our local Big Bang, but that wasn't the birth of everything. There are other parallel bubble universes with their own Big Bangs popping in and out of existence. But all these universes sit within this multiverse. So before our universe burst into, into uh, existence, there was still something else. There was still something that, uh, that we can call existence or reality. So there, maybe there was a before the Big Bang. The, 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 the difficulty is, how do you test an idea like that? Because how do you do an experiment to test the existence of, 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 uh, of the multiverse. Quite. Um, and then that brings us nicely, uh, well, we fast forward a little bit. Um, we, we, know, we know back in time, what's, what's going backwards, we have a very good picture of, of how it all came to be. What's our understanding like of the end and how certain are we of the sort of scenarios that will emerge? Um, well, thanks to dark energy, we sort of can narrow it down a bit because before the discovery of dark energy in, in the late 90s, um, I mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, we would assume that gravity, the, the, the combined cumulative pull of all the matter and energy in the universe should be slowing its expansion down. And there were three possible scenarios. One was that it would you know, it's like stretching a spring and at some point you can't stretch it any further. Now with a spring, you know what happens if you release it, 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 it comes back together again. So that was one option that there was enough matter and energy in the universe that it would slow the expansion of the universe down and then cause it to recollapse on itself in, and what would end up as what we would call the big crunch. But if there's not enough matter and energy to, to do that, it could do one of two other things. It could either slow the expansion down just to a steady rate and then stay that way. It'll just drift apart steadily or it could slow it down so that it, what we say, what we, what we call asymptotically reaches zero. So it slows down slower and slower and slower. And after an infinite amount of time, it's, it's stopped, but it takes an infinity of time to stop expanding. So those are the, 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 the scenarios and, and standard books in, in physics will have plotting a graph of, you know, how the universe, whether it carries on expanding, whether it recollapses on itself or, or whatever. Now with dark energy, we know this, the expansion of space is accelerating. And so rather than slowing down, it's just getting faster and faster and faster. So now it becomes the question, is dark energy going to carry on ripping the universe apart? What happens? Does it just get bigger and bigger and bigger ever more quickly? Is it going to start ripping even the matter apart eventually? Something called the big rip. We don't actually quite understand the nature of dark energy itself to be able to give a definitive answer. We do know that for the first half of the universe's life thus far, 
the expansion was slowing down because gravity was winning that battle. Stuff wasn't so far apart from everything else. So gravity could do its job of putting the brakes on. But halfway through, about 7 billion years ago or so, the universe got so big and matter so far apart from everything else that dark energy kicked in and started to win. And it's now causing the space to expand ever more quickly. What it ends up, the most likely um, uh, scenario is something called the heat death of the universe, which will be in billions, trillions of years from now when space is just empty and almost infinitely large and all matter and stuff has evaporated away and it's just thermal radiation, just photons floating around. It'd be a very, very boring universe indeed. Something to look forward to then uh, compared to now. (laughs) That's a very, uh, an uplifting uplifting note note. to finish on. (laughs) Um, Okay, so one analogy I really liked in the book was about the uh, what you you call the sort of loaf universe or what physicists call the block universe. Um, I thought that was a really eloquent way of explaining how uh, what space and time look like in a sense. Could you could you describe that to me? Yes, so the the, the block universe idea uh, was actually didn't originate with Einstein himself. It originated with one of his old university teachers, uh, Hermann Minkowski, um, who read Einstein's special theory of relativity. And in around about 1908, came up with this idea that if time really is the fourth dimension, then it's just another axis. Now, it's really difficult for us to visualize and imagine what a fourth dimensional thing would look like um we know we live in three dimensions so any solid object has three directions at right angles to each other so you know if you you you, you can move forwards backwards left and right up and down so those three directions each of them is at right angles to each of the other two no other direction that you could point to in space would be at right angles to all those three Right. So it'll have to be a sort of somehow a combination of, of components from those three directions. But time is the fourth dimension. So time has to be at right angles to all of them. And so the trick that we, we do in physics is to say, well, imagine space wasn't three dimensional, it was only two dimensional. So imagine we, we live in a cardboard cutout flat universe. We just ignore one of the axes. That means our universe is, is a surface. And then time becomes the line that is perpendicular to that surface. So it replaces the old space third dimension, and and we use that direction for time. And then you imagine the whole of space-time as a block, um, like a a loaf of bread, right? So the the length of the loaf uh, running from one end to the other, that's the time direction. And every slice of the loaf is space at a moment in time. So consecutive slices are different moments in time. And the beauty of this picture is that it says that our what we regard as our current now moment, you know, we remember the past, we, we predict the future, but we only live in the current. If you could step outside of the block universe, you would see all times coexisting, frozen. So there is no past, present and future. All times are equally real. And it turns out this is a really useful uh, technique to use when we're trying to understand some concepts in relativity theory. It's, it's, I think it's not a good idea to take it too literally because we don't understand the nature of time itself and how time flows. And, you know, there are directions to time and so on. But uh, but in relativity theory, certainly the block universe is quite useful. Einstein even actually used it to console 
the widow of a friend of his who, you know, went at the funeral when his friend died. And he tried to persuade her that somehow it wasn't so bad because the present moment in which she was grieving was really just no different from any other moment along the time axis. You know, past, present and future uh, are all equally real. So he's equally still with us as as being sort of departed. Whether that consoled her at all, I'm not so sure. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Let's wrap it up there. Now, in the next episode, Jim is going to help me demystify the quantum world. We'll be talking about why it's so bizarre and yet so important. We'll be unravelling the discoveries that shone a light on this weird world. And Jim's going to discuss how quantum strangeness might be playing out inside our bodies. So if you've enjoyed the last two episodes and will be tuning into the next one, please do subscribe. And if you can spare a minute, leave a review and let us know what subject you want us to tackle next. And if you want more primers on the big ideas in science, head to our website, sciencefocus.com, or find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And if you want to dive deeper into any of the topics covered, then Professor Jim Al-Khalili's new book, The World According to Physics, published by Princeton University Press, is the perfect place to start. It's a concise introduction to the most important ideas in physics now. And Jim is a wonderfully clear writer who takes the grandest of ideas and makes them simple to understand. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. This podcast has been created by the team behind BBC Science Focus magazine. If you've enjoyed listening, why not try out our magazine? In the next few issues, we've got a special report coming up on the progress towards a coronavirus vaccine. We've got a piece by Steve Brusatte, one of the world's leading paleontologists, on the mammals that thrived among the dinosaurs. And we'll be taking a deep dive into the space mission that will fly a helicopter on Mars. So, if you don't want to miss out, we've got a couple of special offers for you. First off, if you're used to buying your magazines from the shops, you can get your next three issues delivered to your home without needing to set up a direct debit. And you'll still save on the shop price. Or, if you're happy to set up a direct debit, we can offer you even more savings. And your first six issues will be just $9.99. Pick up what works for you, by visiting www.buysubscriptions.com forward slash science focus spring podcast offer. That's www.buysubscriptions.com forward slash science focus spring podcast offer.